From the South Dakota Statewide Family Engagement Center, thanks for joining Fam Jam, where we bring together schools, families, and community members to discuss tricky topics in supporting students. We're your hosts, Morgan Von Hayden and Dana Livermont. Today, we're going to discuss the tricky topic of mental wellness. Well, okay, so first of all, I want to start off because this is where I get stuck. I hear lots of different terms like mental wellness, mental health, mental illness. What's the difference? So I can I can attempt to speak to that. Um, we can think about mental health um, like we think about our physical health because they're both really intertwined and, and really kind of constitute our overall health. So you can't really have health without mental health. And mental health is our emotions, our, our thoughts, our feelings, our ability to solve problems and make connections. So lots of really good things there. Um, and mental health is, is kind of on a spectrum. And where each of us sits on that spectrum can be anywhere from, you know, not so good to really great. And we kind of move across that spectrum at various times in our lives or even from day to day. So... That doesn't necessarily mean you have a mental illness if you dip down into the not-so-good range. Maybe you're experiencing some challenges and some frustrations. Like if we were to compare that to physical health, a person can make all sorts of unhealthy choices. I, I make a lot of unhealthy choices all the time. Like I don't go get enough exercise or make the right eating um, choices. So that happens to a lot of us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I have a health condition, something I'd go into the doctor to get a diagnosis for. Similarly, you can be a little bit on the unhealthier side of the mental health spectrum, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have a mental illness. So a mental illness is an illness that affects, you know, the way people think, feel, behave. Um, and there's lots of different mental illnesses, and they all have different symptoms that impact people in different ways. So, and then on the opposite side of maybe the not so good part of that spectrum is the great part of that spectrum we re where we really actually want to be. And that's when we've achieved mental wellness. And that's when we're in a state where you feel like you have a good grasp of your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions. You're navigating the world and the challenges that you are facing every day and, and all is good. So it's a spectrum. Mental wellness is at the top. Mental illness is a diagnosable Serious condition, but just because you are at the bottom end of that spectrum doesn't mean you have a mental illness. Does that make sense? Actually, that makes a lot more sense. So I love knowing the different definitions because they're not really interchangeable then, but they all go together, but it's not interchangeable. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about my, my mental health. I'm mentally well right now, but last year I had a mental illness and then I went to the doctor and now I'm better. That's a way you could think about it. I love doing research, especially on stuff I don't know. I was doing some research on mental health, and here's what I found out. So the three most common mental illnesses for teens are generalized anxiety from excessive worry about everyday matters, social phobias, severe feelings of self-consciousness and insecurity in social settings, depression, or the persistent feelings of sadness, anxiety, and or emptiness. And then I also read one in five children and teens between the ages of 13 and 18 have or will have a serious mental illness. Half of all mental health disorders show first signs before a person turns 14 years old and three quarters of mental health disorders begin before the age of 24. 
Unfortunately, only less than 20% of children, which is one in five, 20% of children and adolescents with diagnosable mental health problems receive the treatment they need. And when I think about that and I reflect back on my time um, as an elementary school counselor, that kind of jives with my experiences because I think we saw um, a high number of anxiety and depression and also ADHD, but that's not necessarily a mental illness. It's actually a behavior disorder. So what you're saying, I think, rings true, at least in my experience. All right. So we're going to let's kick off this conversation. So with us today are three teens. Claire and Jada are current high school students. And we also have Angelo, who is a recent graduate and a freshman in college. So hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. So we've heard you all have been very passionate about advocating for mental health for teens. That's why you guys were invited to join us today for this really important conversation. So Claire, why why did you become an advocate for mental health? Um, so mainly I became an advocate because I was looking around and I was saying, hey, there's a bunch of people that I know that have mental health problems that are not being treated or don't know who to talk to or don't know how to get help. And that really frustrated me. I think as a teen and as a kid, I felt like there were so many like available options, but people just weren't aware of them or didn't know how. And especially when I got to high school and started seeing friends or friends of friends, you know, commit suicide or really have problems with mental health, I started to become really passionate about it. So my perspective about mental illness is like it changed when I got told this at a, it totally changed. It changed my mindset about mental illness is like uh, when, when you look at your physical health, like, for example, if you break your arm, you go to the doctor. So why we don't do the same for mental health and the advocating about it, it's not so much like advocating in big ways. It's uh, more making it normal to talk about, like normalizing it. Jada, why did you become an advocate for mental illness? I think I became an ad advocate for mental illness because within my group of like close friends and people I actually have like a relationship with, I try really hard to like talk about it more with them and try to normalize it because it's like an invisible illness and it's really hard to talk about it with people sometimes because they don't want to and it could seem like super super big and so I just think that it should be more talked about. Do you does anyone stand out to you guys that might have struggled with with mental health and what was it like and and how did how did you know? Yeah, so a lot. So I have a lot of friends that, especially my male friends, they uh, they there's a lot of stigmas that keep them away from getting help and support because there's stereotypes of like saying males don't uh they don't have to show feelings uh they don't they don't have emotions and if you have emotions that takes away your man's like your your manlyhood and I had a lot of friends that struggled. They wanted to receive mental health uh support, but when they did, it was a lot of financial problems or they didn't know how to or where to start? Yeah, so I had a period of my life where I really um, was super anxious, super depressed, had no idea why, uh, and it runs my family, so it's totally not a big deal. I went and I got diagnosed, and, and now everything's great. Um, but I remember when I went through that, first of all, I felt super duper isolated. I felt very alone. I felt like I had no one to talk to. I didn't know how to talk to anybody. Um, and when I finally started having those conversations with people, when I talked to my sister, who we talked to my mom, that was really when I started getting the help I needed. Um, but I have friends that went through similar situations that 
had didn't have that support system, didn't have that same tight family, you know, kind of community. And that made it way harder because then they felt like they had no one to immediately turn to. And I think that brings it back to another issue. Like that's where you should have members of the school that the kids should go to or things like that. Earlier, Morgan had shared that statistics are showing that only one out of five teens who has a diagnosable mental illness actually receives professional mental health support. And based on what you guys are saying, I think that that probably is accurate or maybe even an an overestimate of how many are are actually going in and getting the mental health support they need. But one thing that I wanted to point out is that even though not every student will go um, receive mental health support from from a community provider, nearly every student in South Dakota is going to go to a public school. And so I think schools are in a a unique position to be a support for students and to be a conduit to those professional services. So I was just curious from you all, uh, is it working? Are there things that that are working for you all? And, And what are some things that need to change? So reason why I started working with you guys is because I tried to get a peer-led support group. That is really when I started realizing we have a huge problem in the school system because they shut me down like so fast because they said they they always say they didn't didn't have enough resources. But I think in general, I think school systems need to start addressing mental health in the way they address physical health because they have a nurse's office. They have, you can call out sick, but there's so many less resources and so many less here's where you go if you feel sad and here's where you go if you feel anxious and here's who you talk to um, and here's warning signs. Like there's not any of that. So if you don't have a support system at home and if you don't have a support system at school, then you don't have a support system. So when you're going through hard times or if you're a new kid and you don't know anybody, then you feel like you have no one, which is back to that super isolating um, side of mental health and mental illnesses but when I started working at the Student Family Engagement Center, I started realizing, like, holy moly, there's a bunch of people that feel like I feel that are adults that are taking me seriously that want to help. And I think that kind of changed my perspective a little bit towards the school system. And I, it, it made me think things are going to start changing and we have to start changing them. And it starts with groups like this and it starts with teams like us. That was a lot, but yeah. Uh, I loved all of that. I was like, yes, if we want change, we have to make it happen, right? Like, that was so cool. Yes. Yeah, I've, uh, Yeah. so I feel like some schools, uh, school counselors are not, like, as involved because they seem like they have, like, too many jobs on their plate. Like, some counselors will have more jobs than just being a counselor at the school. And I feel like that was, like, the last thing they'll get to is mental health. And... And by them doing that, they don't really get to know students. And when, because I, I know for from experience, I would not go to a, a counselor if I don't have a build a relate like a relationship with them. Like even a little say hi, how are you doing? That can that can make a big difference in a kid's day or like getting in a position where they can vent out to them and ask for mental health uh, advice or help. You know, and uh, especially I I went to a school on the reservation on the reservation and mental, I don't, I don't remember seeing a counselor. So, and the suicide rates on the reservations are really high. And yeah, I feel like that's one of the last things they're, they're focusing on, which is really sad. I completely agree with what Angelo said. I just feel, where are our counselors? 
who are our counselors? You don't even know who your counselors are, where your counselors are. You go in and talk to a counselor and they would much rather talk about your academics and your mental health. And I think that is where the problem starts. I didn't even know who my counselor was until just July, like this July. I didn't know who my counselor was until this July. And it was all, only about school. Like, cause I, because like in my mind, I thought a counselor would be like, like someone I can go to for anything. But really, I feel like she's only there for school, like academically wise, which I think is, I mean, it's good, but I, I want someone else that I can go to for mental health. I hear what everybody is saying here, and um, I've seen this too as a school counselor. So I, I mean, I don't take any offense to what you're saying because I um, have seen this personally. And I think traditionally over the last, this is just some background counselor history, um, over the last like you know, 40 to 50 years, like that is the way counselors were trained. You know, you go to college to learn how to guide people to their careers. Um, and so it was really kind of a pigeonholed idea. But now as we have come, you know, to where we are now, I think there's a realization that we need a lot more mental health support in our schools. And um, if if school counselors are not willing to step up and, and play that role and really want to do the academic advising, then who is going to fulfill that role, right? Because we know that kids and teens are coming to schools and they have a need. Um, and I think that at this point is going to be a good segue. Also today, we have someone who is working hard to change the way we support students' mental health and prevent suicide. Sarah Zimmerman is the Social Emotional Learning Coordinator for Rapid City Area Schools. Hello. So Sarah, I, I want to start off with maybe a bit of a naive question because, I mean, you hear trauma-informed practices, mental health, mental illness, social-emotional learning, all of these buzzwords, and a lot of times they get interchanged with each other. So what is social-emotional learning? That's a great question because I feel like that is like a term that's really just thrown out there and people are like, okay, I think I have a vague understanding of what that is. But truly, social-emotional learning is something that um, school counselors, I feel like that's right in their wheelhouse. And you can see like as like elementary, middle school counselors, there's a lot of lesson planning that is delivered in the classroom. But when we talk about social emotional learning, it's um, we're talking about uh, kids emotions, how they understand emotions, how they manage their emotions, how they set goals for themselves, how they achieve those goals. Um, how they form relationships, how they maintain relationships. So it's a set of skills we're teaching kids that kind of set, that will help them socially and emotionally as they grow and develop. Is there a connection between uh, social emotional learning and, and what schools invest in that and then the mental health of students? So I guess when we look at social emotional learning, that's a set of skills that people learn that's gonna be helpful for them just as they're functioning as a human being throughout their lives. Um, when we look at mental health, that's not necessarily the same exact thing as social emotional learning. We see like a big overlap that um, kids that maybe struggle with those social emotional skills maybe go on to have um, mental health concerns later on, but there's not that direct correlation. It's not a given that if you're really struggling with social emotional skills, that doesn't mean you're gonna have a mental health issue. So um, they are very separate and different, even though there's some overlap. And so there's really this this need within school districts that we provide social emotional training um, and lesson plans and um, strategies for students, but that we also focus a lot on mental health because that's equally as important. 
I'm glad you're pointing that out because social emotional learning is a buzzword right now. And it is important. Like schools should be investing in that. But I think based on what you just said, you know, incorporating social emotional learning in your classrooms is not enough. There still needs to be some additional supports for mental health for students is Am I saying that correctly? It's absolutely what I'm saying, that we have to continue to teach those social emotional skills, but we have to recognize that kids that have mental health needs, we have to address that. And you guys have kind of mentioned that earlier, that within the U.S., upwards of 20% of kids will have a diagnosable mental health issue, and only one in five of those kids ever actually gets mental health treatment. And so we know that there's a lot of barriers, and we've got to step up what we're doing within the school system to kind of support those mental health needs of our students. And I know one thing that I keep hearing, um, sitting in our different work groups, talking to teens, talking to um, other individuals that have a passion for mental health, it's that we have to change the conversation and how it's being said today. So I love hearing you talk about the social emotional learning and how it is different from mental health, but there is some overlap because it's starting those conversations also at a younger age. And I just think it's amazing how far I think we've come even in the past five years on where some of these conversations started and where they're going. So with us today is also Mallory Klocek. She's the Ending the Silence Coordinator for NAMI South Dakota. So thank you, Mallory, for joining our conversation today. Absolutely. Mallory, we love NAMI, and which NAMI stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, but many of our listeners may not know about NAMI. So can you share just a little bit about NAMI with us today? Yeah, absolutely. NAMI, we support, we advocate, and we educate. We have a national organization that's up in Virginia who developed like the curriculum for us. And then uh, each state has a state organization. So, we, you know, in South Dakota, we have we have NAMI South Dakota, which we're, we're in Sioux Falls, but we, we operate statewide. We have, a, we have a basics class, which is um, for parents and caregivers of school-age students that want to learn more about how to advocate for their child. Um, and then we also have a NAMI family to family class, which is kind of similar, only it's for, for family and caregivers who want to advocate for their adult family members. Um, and then we have two presentations. We have a inner own voice presentation, which is two adults share their experience living with a mental health condition to other adults. And then we have ending the silence, which I do. Uh, which again, it's two people, but we're coming into the schools um, and we're also talking to parents and teachers. And we have a young adult that shares their experience living with a mental health condition. Uh, and then we have two support groups that we do. We have a family support group and uh, a connection support group, which is for the individuals uh, living with a mental health condition. So Mallory, if we have, um... I, I'm pretty sure every high school student in South Dakota is going to be listening to this podcast as soon as we send it out. At least Absolutely. we hope so. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Cross but, our fingers. <laughs> but if there are high school students um, listening to this and kind of um, thinking, gosh, I'd really like that at my school or in my community, could they go to your website and reach out to you? Or how could they maybe make a connection with NAMI to get those resources or start having that conversation? Yes, absolutely. You can reach out through our website, um, namisd at midconetwork.com, but it's, it's all on namisouthdakota.org. Um, you can just go to our connect or contact us tab and all of our information is on there. Um, and we would be, that's, I love it when we get contact with people and they just want to have uh, they have this idea and they're like, how do we, how do we do this idea? And um, we can, we can help guide 
uh, and, and offer resources and connections and um, to, to really help make that a reality. So before we go or how we're going to finish up our conversation is just a quick share out from each of our guests. Mallory, what is one thing you wish families knew um, about mental health? I think even families kind of fall into that, that place where um, this isn't going to happen to my kid, you know, and, and, but the thing is, is that we all, we all have mental health. And so um, we all need to um, kind of educate ourselves on the resources and just coping skills of how to, um, how to manage our mental wellness there, there's so much out there now, which is, which is huge because it never used to be like that. And so it's just a, a matter of reaching out to whether it's NAMI or reaching out to the school and then the school providing resources that they have access to. Um, but just reaching out and just um, getting comfortable talking about mental health. So Jada, Claire, and Angelo, what is one thing you wish adults knew about teen mental health? I feel like one one thing that's really big is that um, yeah, every generation is different. Especially like especially our generation is like really heavy like heavily impacted by uh, technology and social media. It's like uh, it seems like they have to prove themselves in two different worlds on the social media and internet and technology and, and in the world like the real world. So and I feel like that creates a lot of anxiety and mental illnesses so for me that like me and my friends we have a lot of coping mechanisms with it and they like we like to make jokes about our mental health like obviously not like super serious but it like helps us cope with it and try not to keep it as serious even though it is super serious but when we talk around it with adults they think like oh my god they why are they taking mental health so seriously and it's like like we are but we, that's just how we cope with it. So that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good point. But I think that that is natural for us as humans when things are very serious um, and heavy to sometimes want some comic relief or some lightheartedness just at, as a coping mechanism. So I think that was a really, really good point to make. I'm just thinking as a mom, that's kind of a nice little check-in for me because I might have just made a comment to my middle school son and I think that was his coping mechanism now that you say that. So thank you. Yes. And Claire. Yeah, so I don't want to make this really heavy, but I just want to say there's no replacement for your child. And there is no replacement for someone's best friend. And there is no replacement for someone's classmate. So having those uncomfortable conversations and providing those resources, as difficult as it may be, no one can replace the person that would be there. So, you know, we have to put in the work. We have to go that extra distance to keep everyone healthy. Um, because, yeah, there's no replacing people once they're gone. Yeah, I, I don't think that was too heavy. I think you're just pointing on because you're right. There is no replacement for any of us. Well, and you're spot on, too, because uh, I know Sarah could speak to this, but when, when we train adults like uh, to talk about suicide, that's one of the first things they say is don't, don't shy away from the word suicide. We need to talk about it. And I know sometimes it can be uncomfortable. And 
um, like, oh, how do I bring this up or how do I talk about this? And I, you know, I don't want to put this in their head, which none of the research supports that. And we really need to be um, courageous about confronting it and, and having a conversation about it, because you're right, if we don't, um, there could be situations where we regret our inaction. So, Sarah, what is one thing you wish students knew about mental health? The message that I would want every student to embrace or understand is that as humans, we all have mental health and mental wellness. And there's going to be times where we are like totally in a great spot with our mental health and there's times where we struggle. And to know that when we are struggling and if we're having mental health concerns or if we have a diagnosable mental health um, condition, that it's treatable. We can get treatment and see improvement and we don't have to kind of go through that alone. And so to just know that it is a human experience to have varying levels of mental wellness and that there's help available when we do get in that spot that we're struggling. And you had something you I, wanted to say. Well, I did. I did. My last thought was just listening to everyone talk and, and well, first of all, for the adults, you're definitely in the right positions that you guys are in. Just hearing your passion and your voice for social emotional learning mental health, mental illness, and now I know the difference between all the different areas. It's just been amazing. And for the teens, I'm so excited to see your guys' growth and where you're going to go because already having this much passion at your guys' stages is just incredible. And I just wish we could harness some of that and share it with other groups too. The passion you all have has just been amazing. So thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Fam Jam. I can't believe we've gotten through four of these already. It's so exciting. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed having a conversation with these amazing guests. And we hope you'll join us next month as we discuss the tricky topic of communication. The Fam Jam is a production from the South Dakota Statewide Family Engagement Center, where we're committed to uniting students, families, schools, and communities together by focusing on learner needs from cradle to career. Music written by Tom Freer. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, SFEC South Dakota, and become our friend. We love having new friends.